You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 10. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, and I'm here today with my good friend, Billy Young, and we're going to have some fun. We've decided to create a scenario to help teach all of you out there a little bit more about um, some of the things an officer looks at when they're adjudicating a disposal sponsorship. And I've asked Billy to create a facts, a fact pattern that we can use to, uh, to basically teach you. Now, when we go through this process, I am going to take the good cop side, the good officer who is always trying to see the good in people. And Billy, on the other hand, she is going to pretty much do exactly what she did when she was an officer and be the bad cop. Pretty much. Yeah. No, I'm just joking. It's true. (laughs) All right. So Billy's going to start off by sharing a little bit about uh, this lovely couple that we have, some details on their lives and information that's been gleaned from the application that's been filed. And remember, at this stage, all the officers have to go on is the information that you've included in your package. And so this is where we'll start off and then we will slowly play out the entire process. Over to you, Billy. Okay. So we will start by just going through a little bit of the background information that we would have pulled from the application itself. So we have the sponsor who we will call Robert and he is a Canadian citizen, male, his age is 60. The applicant in this case, which would be Robert's wife, Deborah, is a citizen of the UK and she is age 30. Okay. So what's the age gap here? We're looking at about 30 years. 30 years. No, no, that makes sense. You know, this is probably Robert's, you know, second wife. And so he's Possible. moving up in the world. Okay. Um, they met online through a dating website approximately May 2015. The first time they actually met in person would have been November 2015. And that same time that they met in person, they were married within that same month um, in the UK. Okay, let's stop there for a second. So this lovely couple met online to start with. And after the first time they met in person, they decided to tie the knot. Correct. Because it was love at first sight. Again, that's the perception from the application at this point, right? All right. (laughs) Okay. Deborah appears to be unemployed uh, in the UK and has minimal savings. Robert, who again is the Canadian citizen sponsor, is the president of his own company here in Canada. Hmm. She's unemployed. He's loaded. Okay. That's not a problem. <laughs> Lots of women, you know, they, they find their husbands more attractive, the larger the bank account. And uh, apparently Robert likes younger women. So that's totally normal. No sure problems. hurt. <laughs> Um, it has been identified as well that Deborah has been refused entry into Canada before um, under the category of a non-genuine visitor on previous occasions. Hmm. 
Now, both obviously Robert and Deborah are interested in submitting an application for permanent residence from within Canada under the Spouse and Common Law Partner class. Okay, so Be- Deborah's had a prior history of some refusals to Canada, but fortunately now, I'm assuming because they were married, uh, she was allowed in, and now they're looking at filing an in Canada spousal sponsorship application. All right, okay. Okay, so then there are some supporting documents that we would um, look to within the submitted application. So at this point in time, we have a joint bank account that appears to be opened um, in December of 2015, and it is listed in both Robert and Deborah's name. They are in Canada now living together, and their utility bills are in the name of both Robert and Deborah. Okay, that makes sense. You're, You're traditionally, if you're a legit couple... You're going to have bank accounts and shared, you know, shared finances and the utility bills are are going to be, you know, in both of your names. That's quite common. They are living in a residential home that is owned by Robert solely. Mm -hmm. He's, He's loaded. So he's got his own house. That makes sense. Nothing wrong there. Yep. And there's a statement of coverage from Alberta Healthcare that is addressed to Robert and provides coverage to Deborah as his newly identified dependent. And it has been indicated that Robert's adult children from a previous marriage are aware of his new spouse. Okay. And both Robert and Deborah share the same religious beliefs as well. So they have both identified themselves as being Christian and both speak English. Okay. So here's uh, what's been relayed is our basic fact pattern. We have uh, the information that we pulled from the application and on the surface, there are some issues and you know, if I'm representing someone, I'll always address those right off the bat. So clearly the fact that they met each other on their first in-person visit and decided to get married is is a factor that could potentially lead away from a determination that this relationship is genuine. But let's face it, they met on this online dating website quite a few months before, and a lot can be accomplished in a few months. And so they probably were already madly in love before they even met in person. It was just a, a fait accompli. So, yeah, so I think, you know, based on what we have here, there's a lot going for them. They, if they weren't legitimate, they wouldn't share bank accounts, theoretically. And uh, living in the same home, if you're just trying to dupe your sponsor and Deborah's just trying to use Robert, well, maybe things wouldn't move forward quite as quickly as they have. but. You know, I guess that's uh, to be determined. I think they're okay so far. I think they can make this work. What do you think, Billy? I would say there are quite a few other factors that we could look at in the negative direction at this point, even just based on what they've provided in the application. Hmm. And what might those be? Well, for instance, there is the age gap that we would look at that is the 30 years um, difference that could cause a concern there that we would want to look into a little bit more. Um, There were no photos from what I can see that were submitted within the application um, to support any type of, you know, ongoing relationship since whether it be they met online or when they met in person. Again, just based on the application, there was no mention of any formal engagement ceremony. Um, Doesn't appear that any family or friends of Deborah or Robert attended their wedding. Um, as well, there's no wills or beneficiary statements or anything to that effect that are within the application itself as well. Hmm. It takes people time to build up those things, doesn't it? It's possible. 
So they could still be working on those things, but I guess this is another factor. They, they did file the application fairly, fairly quickly. And so as we're going through these factors and trying to determine if the relationship truly is legitimate, um, each of these kind of uh, are, are rested on one side of the balance scale. And uh, so if I was to ask you now, Billy, mm -hmm. based on this information, which, which way is the scale tipping? I would be looking at more of a non-genuine type of a relationship at this point, but it would need more information before I would make a final determination. Hmm. So what we have here is a little bit of doubt placed in the mind of the officer. And so when this happens as an officer, what tools do you have at your disposal? What can you do if you need more information? There are a couple of things. Um, again, at Citizenship and Immigration Canada, or I guess IRCC now, uh, can still work closely with the Canada Border Services Agency. So if there are some concerns about even how they are sharing a home together, you could ask um, a CBSA officer to go out and do a little bit of uh, investigation for you to see how they are interacting together at home. A bed check. Correct. You're sending an officer <laughs> out to check things out. Well, all right, that's fair enough. And so when the officer knocks on the door and the couple says, Hi. Do you advise them in advance that you're going to be paying them a visit or do you just... No. Just drop by? The element of surprise is always the best. You know what? I hate it when friends just drop by. What if the house is messy? It's probably a good thing in this case because then you know that they're not being prepared for any unsolicited or unwanted visitors at that point. So, so nothing is staged. Correct. Mm, that makes sense. Okay, so let's say you do enlist... Um, one of the fine CBSA officers to, to do a, a little bed check and they knock on the door and they go in. What do they find? Well, it appears that in this specific uh, scenario, it, they, Robert and Deborah did not appear to be sharing a bed together. Deborah's bedroom uh, was actually upstairs while the sponsor, Robert, in this case, had his own room on the main floor of the house where he slept um, as well, even within the house itself, there was no photos of themselves together with any family or friends. Um, so that is a little bit of a concern at that point as well. And yeah, the photos that did appear within the home were mostly of Deborah's ex-spouse and their children. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, maybe their camera was broken. Um, I wouldn't probably believe that. Oh, okay. All right. So we have an officer who drops by and it doesn't look like they're actually sleeping in the same bedroom. Hmm. Mm -mm. So as we layer that on, now how much is the scale starting to tip in the other direction? The direction of still refusal? Yeah. More so. Okay. Getting quite heavy. Okay. So obviously the this is an officer who's observing these poor, this poor couple who are totally caught unaware, you know, and there may be very good reasons. Maybe Robert just wasn't feeling very well and she didn't want to get sick. And so she was staying upstairs just to give him his space because Robert likes to have his space. After all, he is 60 years old. He's kind of used to his routine. You know, maybe they, they need to be, have an opportunity to explain this because it's pretty one-sided with just an officer storming in and making their own determination as to what they see. So what do you do? So how is these, these poor individuals, are they given an opportunity to, to counter or do you just refuse? 
in these scenarios when there is you know extrinsic information that comes to the um, attention of the officer that's reviewing the application they do have to make the applicants aware of that information especially if they're utilizing it as a basis of their decision um, so in this case it would be important to then probably interview the couple ah okay so robert and deborah receive a phone call from the officer that is an or option. a letter that says uh, we're going to have a little interview. Come and visit us. Yeah, if you're going to notify someone for an interview, you're going to send them a written notification. But as far as the as how the interview is going to go, it can be done over the phone um, or it can be done in person. It's really more so the officer's preference. Gotcha. So let's pretend it's in person. For me, I would never do an interview over the phone if I could help it. I find it's a lot easier um, for somebody to, I don't know, I guess I don't really want to use the word live, but be very comfortable, um, you know, fixing a story when you're not having to actually look someone in the eye and, and answer the questions where you're just kind of in your own little room and you don't have to actually be in front of that person. So I don't think an, a phone interview is as effective. Gotcha. Especially in these circumstances where it's an in-Canada application and yes. both uh, both the sponsor and the applicant are living together and should very easily be able to come in for a visit. So do you pull them in together and have a little chat or how does it play out? Initially, you can bring them in together just to let them know how things are going to flow from there. Uh, but then I would proceed to interview them separately. All one right. At a time. Who's first? Doesn't matter. Mm, okay. So the interview mm -hmm. happens. What do you learn? Well, for Robert and Deborah, it looks like that they have, you know, answered the concerns as to why they found it was, you know, such a quick decision to get married after they first met. Um, they decided to get married so it would be easier to get across the border since Deborah was refused, refused entry previously. So therefore, that's why they decided to get married so quickly after he went to the UK to meet her. Um, it did come to light as well that they were not truthful in answering the border officer's questions when they entered Canada. Deborah stated in the interview that as far as her family knows, um, she is just simply Robert's caregiver. Except, of course, her children. They know of the truth about her relationship with Robert. Deborah has also been reported for working without authorization by the Canada Border Services Agency and was advised by CBSA prior to entering Canada the requirements needed to be um, that she needed to be allowed to work in Canada. Hmm. So, so she was bounced because she was working without authorization. Yes. Yeah, so it sounds uh. like that the information she would have originally provided in her application just indicating she was not genuine, which is partially true, um, was more so because she was here working. As well, the application for permanent residence supported Deborah's credentials as a personal care attendant, but limited documentation was provided supporting her relationship to the sponsor. So other documents that were provided with the permanent resident application more so focused on Deborah's education and her how she would be a benefit to Canada, you know, in her professional career rather than um, simply advocating for the spouse of a Canadian citizen. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Now there is that one question, number 12 on the application forms, the spouse or common law partner questionnaire that asks, please provide any information you may have to support the genuineness of your relationship. 
Correct. She kind of missed that question. A little bit or misunderstood it, maybe. Mm, see, you never know. IRCC, they're so confusing and devious. <laughs> you know, that little question is just neatly tucked in near the end of that form and poor unsuspecting couples, genuine couples like Robert and Deborah here are caught off guard because they didn't appreciate that really that question number 12 is the single most important question in the whole application. Interesting. I don't know. I disagree with that. <laughs> I think it's more of a, let's see what we can catch. Give yourself a little bit of room to either, if it is a non-genuine relationship, give yourself an opportunity to actually let that be known a little bit more. Um, over those that are more genuine that will see that question as great. I can provide, you know, my 70 photos uh, outside of just my wedding photos, et cetera. So excellent. Yeah. Um, let's see. Then during the interview, Deborah appeared to be more upset about not being able to work in Canada at the present time. Okay. And that makes perfect sense because someone wants to be independent. They want to be able to contribute to mm -hmm. the family unit they, want, they don't want to be a drain on their spouse. That makes perfect sense that she'd be yeah. you know, disappointed that she couldn't uh, get back to work to, to help her family. But unfortunately, in comparison to the possibility of having to go home and not being able to remain in Canada with her spouse, that was more upsetting than being separated from her spouse. Hmm. So not that the fact that, you know, she just couldn't work. So she was more upset about not being able to work than not being with her true love in Canada. Correct. Oh. Well, that's potentially an issue I'll have to work around. Mm -hmm. And then when she was asked again what would happen if the application was refused, what she would do, she calmly replied that uh, she would move back home with her parents. And then when Robert was asked what he would do if the application was refused, he too replied that he was not too sure. Well, you know what? Those are both very legitimate answers. If I had left my family and sold all my belongings to make my new life with my true love, my dear, dear spouse in Canada, I wouldn't have anything to go back to, you know, anyways. So it makes perfect sense. I'd probably spend a week or two back with my parents to get on my feet again as a 30-year-old. And uh, so that's totally legitimate. And then Robert, well, he's probably in shock right now. His true love, the prospects of not being able to remain with her forever for the rest of his life. And, and see, that's the beauty about doing an in-person interview. You can completely read their body language and the way they react to their questions. And that is not the impression that was given at that time. They could have cared less. Oh, wow. Well, this is, uh, there's definitely some facts here that, uh, uh, yeah, are not going too well in, in my favor <laughs> here. Okay, well, that's all right. Well, these poor individuals, surely they have to have uh, an opportunity given to them to respond to these terrible allegations of deception. Yes. So what did they say? Well, um, we had mentioned that there was a lack of photos uh, within the application itself. So they were asked to provide, you know, further explanation as to why there were such minimal photos to show their relationship. Um, the two of them together, uh, it indicated that they're all boxed up. Um, but can provide them at a, late, at a later date. Um, they note they needed to be prepared to provide photos and considerably more information to support the relationship that was not within the application. So essentially they were indicating that they didn't have enough time to provide photos to support the application. Hmm. But they chose when they wanted to file. Correct. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, then we kind of focused on the age difference and if they felt that that was a problem within their relationship. 
Uh, Robert indicated that no, he doesn't feel that that 30-year age difference is a big deal. He encourages Deborah to go out on her own and exercise and play sports with her friends because he is just not able to keep up. Uh, both Robert and Deborah did not believe that the age would be a factor in their relationship. They see that Robert, he's a modern man. He believes in allowing his, his wife to go and pursue her interests and not let him hold her back in those limited instances where he is unable to keep up. But, uh, you know, if you, if you truly love someone, you're going to let them go too. So he's all about that. Let them, uh, you know, (laughs) pursue their passions and not hold them back. What an admirable person this Robert is. Maybe. And then they were asked again to explain why they didn't answer the officer's questions truthfully when they entered Canada originally. Uh, They responded that they were both tired and they just wanted to get home. And I can appreciate that response because, look, they've just finished flying across the ocean. They're exhausted. Now they've got an officer questioning, you know, the purpose of their entry. They're having to relive the prior refusals. You know, I I can see how misstatements could occur periodically as a result of, uh, you know, just general fatigue. There definitely could be confusion, but I think um, when you outright lie, then maybe the confusion isn't as, you know, understandable. Possibly. Mm-hmm. You never know. <laughs> um, and then again, they were asked to explain why their relationship is a secret. They have not wanted to make their relationship public because Deborah's parents would not understand. And again, this goes back uh, to the age difference here. Robert, on the other hand, does not have a lot of close friends, and his children were the only individuals he felt that were important to let know about his new relationship. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. You know, there's, there's some justification there. I could see how uh, the age difference might not be accepted warmly by, by parents who are probably the same age as Robert. And, uh, but these types of relationships, they, they happen. They sure do. Yeah. And, you know, Robert may not be a movie star, but he's got his company and he's pretty well off and just looking for some companionship for the rest of his life. And Deborah just fell in love with him. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's possible. Anything's possible. And the final question was, why do you stay in separate rooms? Of course. I knew this was coming. (laughs) And the response from Deborah was, uh, she has always slept alone, um, but they managed to still be intimate in their relationship. Yeah. I think Robert's probably just been so used to, you know, sleeping on his own. He probably just can't sleep unless he's by himself. And so that's why they, they have separate rooms. I'm almost positive that's probably the case, but all right. Okay. So after this final piece of information, and they've been given an opportunity to respond and to answer, um, Uh, to some of the concerns that have been expressed. So what's your decision, Officer Young? (laughs) Um, In this particular case, I would still refuse the application. Campbell. (laughs) So cold-hearted. Okay, so what are the things that tip the scale? For me, um, obviously, you would consider all of the factors. You still aren't going to mm-hmm. ignore the fact that there are some supporting points to the application, whether it would have been, you know, their explanations that they provided at the interview over some of the supporting documents, such as, you know, their bank accounts that they put in their own name, the fact that they are, whether or not, you know, 
committed to each other as they're residing in the same household and it appears to be just more of a roommate type of a situation they do still live in the same residence so you still take that into consideration as well um there are no language barriers you know there wouldn't be any religious factors that would come into question that could you know dampen the relationship at that point so you definitely have to look at those factors and weigh them according accordingly um, in this particular case, however, I would consider the fact that there is a continual uh, misrepresentation. Um, you know, previously, before she came into Canada, you know, before she met Robert, um, that's a, a significant factor to me that I would put a fair bit of weight on that continued when she then entered Canada again and lied to the officer. And at that point, you know, identified their relationship as more of a, again, a caregiver type of a situation that on top of that statement, in conjunction with all of the supporting documents in the application that led toward her um, wanting to be here as a personal care attendant and all of her education and her work experience and her resume, but then had nothing to support her actual relationship as a spouse to Robert, um, just again, made me consider that that is more of a, you know, weighed more heavily in the refusal of the application, because again, you know, she wanted to work in Canada. She was more upset about not working in Canada and not being able to be here caring for Robert, not the fact that she needed to be with him more on a husband-wife hmm. so type of situation. So possibly so, um, yeah. Deborah has a little bit of an incentive yeah. other than uh, being with her true love to, uh, to come to Canada. Yes. Hmm. And I guess if you're in a situation where you're pretty much unemployed in your home country and you've already got a taste of working in Canada, albeit somewhat illegally, there may be a, an incentive to look for opportunities to find your way back to Canada. And clearly a spousal sponsorship is one of the most facilitative means of doing so if indeed the relationship is genuine. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I have to admit, as everything has un, you know unraveled here and we've been able to uh, follow through the process from application to a little, uh, in, uh, a little um, investigation by the CBSA officer and culminating in an interview. And I'm assuming you separate the, the spouses and interview the Deborah first and then uh, Robert second or apart. Anyways, um, as this has come forward, I must admit it'd be pretty hard for me to, to argue that this is a genuine relationship without me being able to determine or, or find other supporting information or documentation. And so I think I actually have to agree with you in the case of, of Robert and Deborah, <laughs> the, the likelihood of, of them being able to convince an officer is not impossible, Correct. Um, but the way they structured their application and the way things played out, um, they're definitely going to have a very, very steep hill to climb uh, to, to get that approval on the application. So, Taking all of this information and our lovely discussion here about this fine couple, uh, Billy and I have put together what we call our, our top five tips or, or factors that you can, you can, or, you know, things that you can do to strengthen your spousal sponsorship application. So I'll have Billy start off by explaining what number one is. All right. We have number one as include lots of supporting documents. All right. So this goes without saying, if you are in a truly genuine and committed relationship, you're going to have evidence of that. 
And uh, couples who are in a genuine relationship usually have a centralized mode of existence. And otherwise, in other words, they, they have many things in common as most couples do. So some examples are joint bank accounts. Maybe you're listed as the beneficiary on your spouse's employment benefits uh, uh, with, with work. Um, maybe you're a beneficiary on a life insurance policy. You have a joint lease um, or, excuse me, maybe you have uh, joint, you know, joint ownership in your home or your beneficiary, um, you know, within a, within a will. So all of those factors are, are, you know, the list could go on and on and on, but it's really important that when you first submit your application, you include as much as you possibly can in terms of supporting documents. Because if you don't and you leave gaps, and uh, then it, it, it falls to the officer to try to fill in those gaps. And you may not like how those gaps are filled in and how an officer uh, interprets the lack of documentation. Okay, now we're at number two, which is include lots of photos. Yes, now... This is an interesting thing because immigration officers will always state that pictures are not necessarily uh, valuable in the sense that they can be altered, they can be photoshopped, and uh, you know they're they're just not as reliable. But I would argue that it's pretty hard to fake different kinds of you know different hairstyles and a series of photos over a you know a larger period of time that show you together in different locations around the world, if you've gone on holidays with family members, with friends. And so, although yes, pictures can be photoshopped, I highly, highly recommend that you do take lots of photos and that you document your relationship and, you know, the, the development of that relationship. And like I said, make sure that the photos are of both you and your sponsor. And um, in the case of, uh, of Robert and Deborah here, they did not include, I don't think, a, a one picture of them together, which was a, a huge factor. Okay, so number three, get to know each other's family and friends. Yeah, and this goes without saying. Normally, people that are in a committed uh, marital relationship will have had an opportunity to meet each other's families because, you know, like it or not, to a large extent, you know, when you get married, you're also marrying that, pe- that, that individual's family. And it just makes perfect sense that uh, a genuine relationship, you're going to have got to know each other's friends and the people you associate with and each other's families to the, you know, to the, the largest extent possible. And if that is not the case, then there needs to be a very, very good explanation why. Okay, number four, explain away any problem areas and how they are not a problem in your relationship. Exactly. So right off the bat, if you know there's a huge age gap or maybe you know one uh, the sponsor is is christian and and the the principal applicant is is muslim you know right away there's going to be some religious or cultural differences that would suggest you know that this isn't your typical relationship and um, i know that's somewhat judgmental but the reality is if you come from different religions or different cultural backgrounds the officer to some extent is going to be looking at compatibility and so you'll want to be able to explain. And uh, obviously, if you speak different languages and you are having trouble communicating with each other, it's pretty hard to uh, really show that a relationship is genuine if, if, you, if you don't even have an ability to communicate. So if one individual is unable to speak English, then you're going to need to address that and how it, you know, notwithstanding those factors, um, that, you know, that it still is genuine. 
And then obviously any uh, situation where you're, uh, you have an incentive to getting married to assist with an immigration application or being able to stay in Canada, you're going to need to be able to explain that away too. Okay, and finally, number five, don't rush off and file your application until you have a track record within your relationship. All right. So this one's pretty clear. If, like Robert and Deborah, you have met each other in person and on that first visit decide to get married, well, that's not going to look so good when it comes to a spousal sponsorship application. And so it's really important that you take the time to build that relationship even after you get married or build that track record of things that you've done and time that you spent together um, to, you know, to in a sense, um, uh, create that uh, that relationship that an officer is going to see, okay, well, maybe they got married a little bit quicker, but we can see all the things that they've done together and how they've centralized their mode of existence, how they've come together and they truly have all the, you know, all the indicators of a genuine relationship. It's just that maybe the marriage happened a little bit sooner. And, and, and if you approach it from that standpoint, you're going to be a whole lot better off than someone who gets married quickly and then after listening to our awesome podcast here, uh, decides, okay, we need to get our joint bank account. We need to get me added as a beneficiary on everything. And uh, let's take a whole bunch of pictures. And this all occurs in a, you know, a one to two week span immediately preceding the date that you file your application. Well, that's not going to look so good either. So try not to, um, you know, try not to rush this process. It's really important that, uh, that there's this track record that's developed and then it looks like the relationship is, you know, has, has grown and evolved like any genuine relationship would. And that it's not just something that's rushed and designed to, you know, to, to meet any form of an immigration, um, you know, purpose other than to support the reunification of a loving couple. So anything else, Billy, that you'd like to add before we conclude? No, I think those tips are, are quite um, good in regards to how you've explained them. I think too, maybe the way that we've set out this scenario is a little bit, might be a little bit scary. Uh, if all of a sudden you're that couple that gets called in for an interview, um, I wouldn't panic. A lot of the times the interview is just a way for that officer to fill in the gap. And a lot of the times it can go in your favor because they just need to give you an opportunity to explain some of the information that maybe was missing in the application um, or just a couple of questions that didn't quite make sense that were legitimately just because you didn't understand how the question was being formulated within the application um, and the forms themselves. So don't panic if you do get called in for an interview, you know, as long as you're in a genuine relationship and it isn't for immigration purposes, um, it should go quite smoothly for you. Excellent. All right. Well, this concludes uh, episode 10 of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. Thank you, Billy, for joining me, and I hope that you all were able to glean a little bit of internal insight into the adjudication of a spousal sponsorship application. We look forward to, uh, uh, to the next episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. If you'd like to leave us a question, you can go to uh, the CanadianImmigrationPodcast.com and uh, leave a question, and if there is um, a sufficiently generalized nature to that question, then we will try to pull it into future episodes um, and uh, allow that question to, um, to benefit. And I guess the answer to that question to benefit all the people that are listening. So thanks for tuning in and we look forward to uh, sharing some more insight on Canadian immigration.
practice policy and procedure. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com. Canadian Immigration